can have a seat. So as I said earlier, today is a very important day, um, linked up with other churches around the country um, about this idea of human trafficking. And um, God is so faithful to the church because there are so many needs out there and, and so many great causes, but all of us can't be involved in everything. And so God is so faithful to raise up people, not just to participate, but also to lead out in different avenues and different types of ministries. And so we have people in our church who uh, just have a heart for the orphans of the world and the orphans of our city, and they open their homes up for foster care and adoption, and that's their cause, and, and they lead the way so well in that. And we have other people who are passionate about taking the gospel to unreached places in the world where they don't know the name of Jesus, they don't have access to the name of Jesus, and those people are, are fiery passionate about getting the name of Jesus into those places. And, and, um, and so with this idea of human trafficking, um, God has been faithful to raise up people, not just to participate, but to, to blaze the trail. You know, most of us are not trailblazers. Most of us are, you know, secondary people. We want somebody to go in first, and after we see that they survive, then we are more than willing to go in. That's where most of us are. And, and so God has raised up many in our church, but specifically Deborah Parker, to be one of those trailblazers in this er- arena of, um, of uh, human trafficking. Uh, Deborah is the wife of Ernest, who is our student pastor. So she's going to share with us a little bit tonight about how she uh, got involved in this thing, how she came to care about it, some of the things that she's seen as she's been participating and, and uh, blazing a trail for us, and maybe some things even that, that we can do along with her. And so round of applause for Deborah Parker. Okay, so a week ago, um, Carly was asked... Carly is our oldest daughter. She was at, or our only daughter, actually. Carly was asked um, what I do. And her reply was, well, my mom, she used to be a photographer, but now she's into trafficking. Okay, you get it? And sort of, it's true. Um, a few years ago, I just became a student of trafficking. It just became, I just started signing up for all kinds of classes and weekend events that would just teach me about this thing that was wild in my, in my head. I just didn't understand it. I just wanted to learn. You ever feel that way about something? You just want to learn. And that's what I was doing. I was just learning for a solid, I would say for a solid year. Um, and then around this time last year, I remember just kind of, you know, asking the Lord, what is this about? Why, why are you stirring this up in my heart so much? Um, and it was also about this time last year that, I had met my birth mother, um, and I remember sitting outside on one of these benches while my husband and his student team was setting up a room for service, and I was just searching my Bible, asking God, God, please help me. Tell me, what is all this going on in my life? Does it, does it meet somewhere? And I felt like that the Lord was saying that he was setting me apart like Joseph for my family, like Joseph was set apart in the Bible for his family. He brought them redemption in a way. And so as I learned um, the story of my birth mother, I learned that she um, had a lifestyle of trafficking in her younger days. She had been in this kind of scenario. All the scenario that I had been in training for, it matched her. It matched her story. So I was able to understand a little bit. I was able to love her um, in a way that I might not have been able to love her before. Um, 82 days after I met her, she passed away. And I learned after that, um, which 
it was a side note, it was a sweetness of the Lord that I was able to meet her. But um, after she passed away, I learned the stories of my sisters, my biological sisters, and they too had the same stories that she had. So I really felt like the Lord had been rising this up in my heart to love them well, but also to redeem other girls in the process. Jesus had redeemed me. Jesus had rescued me out. And now it was my turn to go walk in his way and do that for someone else. At least try in Jesus' name. So Amanda and I, um, we've been going to late-night prayer meetings sometimes. Sometimes we drive around um, crazy hotels and do weird things. But all because we have just seen it. Like Curtis said, there's, it's right down the street from us. And with our eyes, we have seen girls now walking the streets, offering themselves to men who drive by in minivans, of all things. And we've seen girls standing behind hotel windows looking out to us while we're looking at them. They're not ready to be rescued, but we're standing there pleading for them. We've seen this. So it spurred us on to do some crazy things. So what I'm here to say today is that maybe, just maybe, you are to be involved with us also. Maybe your story isn't going to be going to late-night prayer meetings, or maybe your story isn't going to be um, walking around with girls trying to share Jesus with them face-to-face. But whatever it is that may be stirring up in your heart, I think it's to get behind us or stand beside us and as a church rise up and work for these girls. Because this is our city. Because this is our city, this, that means that these are our girls. We're going to fight for them. And I um, also wanted to say that in the time that we've been doing this, I would say like two or three months, like, like heavy, there have been about three girls, I think, that have been rescued in that time. So that's really fun and a good thing to clap for. Yay. Okay. Thanks, Deborah. And uh, I know it feels like such a large problem, and then you look at what you're able to offer. I know we're all busy, and we all have our things, and, you know, how are we ever going to put a dent in this? But what we're doing is we're not trying to end slavery in our city in the next year. But if it's true that one-third of all human trafficking victims in America come through our city, what if we just made it our goal through prayer and the ministry that we can do, because we can't do everything. There are some things that the law enforcement has to do that we're not able to do. What if through what we can do and prayer, we made it our goal to, to see a measurable decrease in the amount of trafficking that happens in our city, where eventually over time traffickers would know you know, we used to be able to go to Houston, but the church, not just one church, but the church all over the city has such a bright light shining on dark places that it's just going to be best for us to move on to a different city. Just a measurable decrease in the next year. I think that would get us a long way. So again, you'll hear as you leave today, uh, and you'll have in your hands some tangible steps that you could do something about it this week. Why don't you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Everybody knows what a filter is. You have filters in your apartment. You have filters in your homes and in your cars. Hopefully I'm not the first person to tell you that because you're supposed to change those every so often. You may have a very expensive repair bill coming to you if you haven't uh, realized that you have a filter in your home. But you know what a filter is. It, it keeps the bad stuff out. And in some types of filters, it keeps the, the uh, bad stuff in so that only the good stuff 
comes out. Uh, we have physical filters all over our homes, and maybe you have one in your pool or something like that. But uh, we also have different types of filters that all of us wear. Like you, you have a filter for when you're at work, and, and you know that you're not supposed to talk politics with like that one guy or that one girl because as soon as you press that button, like an unending um, stream of opinion comes out, and it's opinion that you don't want to be associated with. And even having the conversation with that person might associate you with their weird views. And so you just have a filter all the time when you're around that person. We're not going to talk about this with this particular person. You have a filter, uh, you know, when you are meeting your in-laws for the very first time or, you know, you're on a date or something like that and you want to appear more polite than you really are. You want to have better manners than you really do. I remember when I met Amanda's parents uh, and I grew up in Missouri and in Missouri we're not as sophisticated and we don't have as much charm up there. And so I wasn't in the habit of saying yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And, you know, we called people by their names up there, and but not here in Texas. And so I quickly realized that if I'm going to be around Amanda's family and they're going to think well about me, I need to say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And so that's all I ever referred to them as. I never referred to them by their first name or anything. In fact, it was a long time um, eventually into our dating when they said to me, you know, like, hey, you know, you can call us by our real names. But by that time, it was like too weird and I just couldn't make the transition and it felt disrespectful. And so I still call them sir and ma'am. You know, I'll say, you know, what did sir do today? Or, you know, what did ma'am do? You know, where's she at right now? And, and uh, even I signed their birthday cards, sir and ma'am. You just, it, it, it feels weird to use their first names. That was a filter that I wore for a long time. You, know, you have a filter when you're on a job interview where you don't want any weakness to come out. You know, any, anything that might disqualify you. So even you will turn your weaknesses into strengths. Like that's what everybody is looking for. Because you know they're going to ask you, you know, what are your strengths? And that comes really, really easy for most of us. And you might appear to be humble and be like, well, you know, but you got 15 things rolling off your brain. But then when they say, what are your weaknesses? You know you can't really be honest about that because, you know, they're not going to hire you if you're honest about your weaknesses. So you try to think of things that either aren't that weak or are actually somehow strengths. Like, you know what, when I have a job, when I have a task at hand. I just am totally focused on that task. I ignore everything around me. I ignore my family. I ignore my friends. I just, I don't watch TV. I'm just totally focused on that task. And that's a real weakness for me, you know, and that sounds impressive and they're going to hire you. We all have filters. We all wear them. And what we're going to do the next three or four weeks is we're going to talk about what it means to have a Jesus filter. Because all of us have been this person and we all know people who have faith in Jesus. I think legitimate, honest faith in Jesus. But the dots are not connected down to the moments where we're making our decisions. And when we're just making our everyday decisions, those thousands of choices that you and I make, that our faith in Jesus is not reflected in those things. Maybe in the big things, when you're changing jobs, or when you're moving cities, or when you're buying homes, or when you're deciding whether to have kids or not have kids or get married. Maybe we'll incorporate our faith into those big choices, but just all the little stuff. I think most of us are not running those thousands of choices that we make every day through some kind of filter that reflects our faith in Jesus. You know, what did we do last week? We came around this idea that Jesus is alive, that he has been raised from the dead. And we're going to see in the scripture tonight that when Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I were raised with him, which means that we have a different way of seeing everything now. If he is Lord, then everything that we do needs to run not just through our eyes, but his eyes. Not just through our mind, but his mind. 
That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 13. He's been speaking in parables, and this is what verse 9 says. It says, He who has ears, let him hear. Now that may be familiar to you. It seems like Jesus is saying this a lot. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you, that's the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, that's the crowd, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see that with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What Jesus is saying is, I'm only saying one thing. Jesus doesn't have different messages for different groups of people. He says one thing. And as he says that one thing, some people are able to understand him. Some people are able to see what he's doing. Some people are able to hear what he's saying. And some people aren't. Which means for us tonight that there is a way of seeing and hearing that allows us to grasp and understand What Jesus is doing among us. Which means a terrifying thing is that many, many people will come and hear the words of Jesus their whole life. Will come to church Sunday after Sunday and they will hear, but they will not understand. And they will see, but they will not perceive. Because there is a way of hearing and seeing that lets us understand the way of Jesus. You know, that's how the Christians were first referred to. It wasn't until later that they were referred to as Christians. They were first known as people who belonged to the way, Acts chapter 9, verse 2 says. And imagine how they got that nickname, that title. These, these people that lived among them who were not believers in Jesus. They didn't believe that he had been raised from the dead. They started looking at these, what we would call Christians, these followers of Jesus. And they looked at the way they were living. They looked at the way that they were speaking. They looked at the way, uh, they looked at the signs and the wonders that they were doing. And then they remembered the way that Jesus spoke and the way that Jesus treated people and the signs that Jesus did. And they matched the two together that his way and their way and their way and his way, it was the same. And that's why they referred to them as people who belonged to the way. Last night as I was going over all of this, I wrote down the question and just thought about it for a while. If people were not listening to me on Sunday morning, but they were just watching the way that I lived my life, if they were just listening to the things that I said on a Monday afternoon and they were seeing how I treated people and seeing how I spent my time and my money, would they... Look at the way of Jesus and then look at my way and describe me as someone who belonged to the way? Or would I have to tell them? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, the goal for us should be that you and I live in such a way that when people look at us and our way, they understand that we belong to the way.
But that doesn't happen by accident. There has to be some kind of filter on our thinking that leads us in that direction. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now it says that, you know, you have died. That's what it says in verse 3. When I do premarital counseling, I always tell the couples that I'm sitting across the table with, uh, right now you are two single people. And when you get married, you're going to become one new person. That's what husbands and wives are. They are one. It's not two separate people living together in a single house. It's two becoming one. That's what biblical marriage is. That's what God-honoring, God-ordained, God-filled marriage is. And so I say to these couples, so you're becoming one on your, your wedding day. So these two single people, they have to die. And every time I say it, they get these like big bug eyes. Like, that was totally offensive, and you just kicked our puppy, you know. Um, But it's true. It's true, isn't it? That in order for one new person to be born into a marriage, husband and wife, one flesh, the two single people have to die. I mean, have you ever known somebody who was married, but they acted like a single person? It's always destructive to a marriage. So the two single people, they have to die if the marriage is going to survive. It's offensive to hear, but it's really true. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3. Listen, you died and your life has been hidden in Christ. Now, if you just signed up and I just signed up to follow Jesus because he seemed like the most likely candidate to take us to heaven after we die, then that statement is going to be very unappealing and, and kind of offensive. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. But then you you understand from the scripture that that, that's what had to happen. Because in heaven, the twisted, broken, sin-stained people that you and I were born as, we can't spend forever in the presence of God. The old has to go and the new has to come. Which is good news because look at verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ. So yeah, we have died... When Jesus died on the cross, we died with him, but we've been raised with Christ. And notice it says, if you've been raised with Christ. It's not a, you definitely have, it's if. And all of us, every once in a while, should ask ourselves, have I been raised with Christ? Or the way Jesus said it in John chapter 3, have I been born again? Am I really a Christian? Have I been raised with Christ or do I just come to church? Have I been raised with Christ or was I raised a church-going person? Am I a follower of Jesus or do I just want to be around people who follow Jesus? Do I believe in Him or am I just trying to be a good person? Have you been raised with Christ? And if you have, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
means Jesus has made room in his resurrection for you. You hadn't believed in Jesus, you weren't born yet, but in his own resurrection, he made room for your resurrection. If you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. And then he says it again in a different way. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We all know what it's like to set our mind on something. Anybody ever hurt your feelings before? I mean, how often are you bringing that wound back across your mind? I mean, can you go, you know, three or four minutes without thinking about it? Maybe you get distracted by a good TV show or something, and then, you know, TV show ends, the credits are rolling, and you're replaying the wound and the offense over and over again. Uh, You ever not had enough money in your bank account? You set your mind on that, don't you? You're just always thinking about it. You're driving down the street, you're thinking about it. You're wondering if at at that very moment money is draining out of your bank account. We all know what it's like to set our minds on things. It's something that you replay all the time. Time doesn't go by very long before you're thinking about that thing again. And he says what? Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's it talking about? It's talking about heaven. So set your mind on heaven. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. See part of the Lord's Prayer which means part of our filter, this Jesus filter that we want to wear so the dots are connected between our faith in Him and the choices that we make. Part of that filter has to do with heaven. Jesus teaching His disciples to pray says this in verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So this is Jesus teaching us to pray. He's saying when you pray, you need to pray that the way that things are in heaven, they would be like that here on earth. So if we're supposed to set our minds on things that are above, we're supposed to set our minds on heaven. And God's will is being done on heaven and Jesus wants us to pray that God's will is done here on earth. Part of the filter that you and I should live with is asking ourselves, this thing that I'm doing right at this very moment, could I do this thing in heaven? This thing that I'm participating with on a Wednesday afternoon, this email that I'm writing, the way that I'm treating this person, the way that I'm thinking about this person, the The things that I'm seeing, things that I'm saying, could I do this thing that I'm doing in heaven, in the presence of God? Now, if you're like me, you're like, ouch. 90% of my life just flew out the door. Because how much of our life could we really say that about? This thing that I'm thinking, this thing that I'm doing right now, I I would feel totally free to stand in the presence of God and do this. You're like, well, that seems kind of harsh. Yeah, but you and I, we died. And our life has been hidden in Christ. It doesn't say... Jesus died and was resurrected and you believed in him and now you keep being you and we'll just add Jesus on top of it. No, it says you died and I died and our life is hidden with Christ. And so it's appropriate that we should have a filter 
that takes into consideration the very place that our Lord is right now. But man, I start thinking about, well, what, how, many, how much stuff do I do that I could do in heaven and feel totally free and fine and safe? And I start thinking about all these gray areas, you know, that's what you're thinking about and that's what I'm thinking about. Well, like everything is gray and it's not, I don't know if it's right and I don't know if it's wrong and somewhere in between probably because, you know, the Bible doesn't like list out what movies I should watch and, you know, what things I shouldn't. It doesn't like, you know, a TV guide doesn't appear in the back of the Bible with an X or a O, you know, based on whether it's a no-go or a yes-go on TV shows. And there's all this gray area and I get that. You know, when, you know you're trying to, to think, well, there's like five cuss words and I don't know, where's the cutoff line? But, you know, there's a good moral at the end of the story and, you know, and forget that. Let's not parse gray areas. Let's just stick to the black and white because, listen, I have a hard enough time obeying in the black and white before I even get to the gray area. So let's just shelve the gray area this morning and let's just stick to the things that we do know for sure we should and should not do because, hello, there is a right and there is a wrong. I know that our culture wants to just blur everything so there's not really a right and there's not really a wrong. You can kind of just base it on the moment, whether it feels right or feels wrong, but there is, at the end of the day, a right and the wrong. So let's just deal with that. So instead of, you know, counting up how many you know, curse words are in a movie and whether I should see it or not see it. Let's just make an agreement about what we do know and maybe we just shouldn't see movies where people take their clothes off. I mean, because it seems to me that a pretty black and white area is that the only person you should ever see naked is your husband or your wife. I mean, that feels like a good place to start. We can maybe get to the gray areas, but I think most of us probably need to start right there. Well, what about alcohol? Well, I don't know if you would feel good about popping one back in the presence of Jesus. Maybe. Maybe he would go for it. I don't know. That seems like a gray area. So let's just stick to what we do know for sure. That you should never, ever, 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 ever get anywhere close to being drunk. Because that's what the Bible says over and over and over again. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should always be able to drive yourself home. So we'll get to the gray areas when we can master the black and white areas. Well, what about like, you know, how I treat people? That seems like a gray area because I, like I like to crack on my friends. I like to joke around. I like to give them a hard time and call them short and bald and fat. You know, it's just a little thing that we do. And well, that seems like a gray area. So let's just stick to what we know is a black and white. And maybe you and I could commit to following the scripture and following in the way of Jesus and not say anything about someone that we would not be embarrassed to say in front of their face. Maybe you have mastered that. I have not yet. So instead of trying to parse and split apart and analyze all the gray stuff, let's just start with what we do know and filter out the wrong that we already know is wrong. I think that would be a great place to start. And it's not just filtering and, and keeping out the bad that can't be done in heaven. It's bringing what is always done in heaven down to earth. In heaven, there is always love. And love should always be flowing out of followers of Jesus. In heaven, there is always compassion and the will of God should be done flowing out 
of the followers of Jesus in compassion. Listen, in heaven is unending humility. There is no one puffed up and boastful in the presence of God. There's no one in heaven looking to their left and looking to their right thinking, man, I'm, I hold it together better than that guy. My life is cleaner than that person. No, you don't get room for that in the presence of God. Everyone in the presence of God is just grateful to have made it. If there is unending humility in heaven, then there needs to be unending humility flowing out of Jesus' followers on earth. Because the filter is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And flip back to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, when it says things that are on the earth, it's not talking about a physical location of earth. It's talking about the way of this world. Earlier in the, the previous chapter, Paul talks about the way of this world being led by the elemental spirits. In Colossians chapter 1, he refers to what he's talking about here as the domain of darkness. That there is the way of Jesus... And then there is the way of this world. There is the kingdom of Jesus and there is the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world is led by Satan himself, the the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. There is a way that leads in Jesus' direction, which he is leading. And then there is a way of this world and they do not go in the same direction. So if you are here hoping that you're just going to be able to live your life the way that you want to live your life and and you hope at the end of the day when all is said and done that the way you lived your life was the way that Jesus wanted you to and it's all going to work out, it's not going to work out. Because his way is a complete opposite direction of the way of of the world, and it's not just our world and our bad culture, it's every culture that has ever existed apart from the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It moves in the opposite direction of His way. His is the narrow way. The world is the wide way that leads to destruction. And I want you to think about the power of your mind. Your mind is incredibly powerful. That's what you've been telling your wife or your girlfriend for a long time, but and I'm affirming that. Your mind is incredibly powerful tonight. You ever been driving home and you started thinking about something that was important to you or interesting to you or something you were stressed and worried about or some situation that happened back at work and then you just ended up in your driveway all of a sudden, you know, 45 minutes felt like it was only five minutes. That ever happened to anybody? I need some nods of your heads because the earlier service, they were leaving me hanging. I was feeling all alone. That sometimes happens to me. I've told you before that when Amanda and I dated our very first year. We lived 11 and a half hours apart, so I'd make that long drive from Missouri down here to Texas all the time. And listen, it's incredibly boring. There is nothing interesting between Missouri and Texas. There's absolutely nothing interesting. And and so it was boring. And so I found all these tricks to occupy my mind to make the the trip go faster. For example, uh, I grew up in a a smaller community in Missouri, and um, I grew up 
graduated with like 200 plus people, something like that. So not super big, but not super small either. And, um, and so because I lived in a smaller community, essentially everyone I went to middle school with, uh, I graduated high school with. They were just kind of all the same people. And we would get yearbooks every year. I don't know if you're doing the yearbook thing. It's kind of a racket, but, you know, my parents bought them, and I was glad. And so I was always looking at those yearbooks. Even when we go back now to Missouri, I'll pull those yearbooks out of the closet because uh, I like looking at my picture because uh, I used to have a big, thick, nice head of hair, and uh, I like to look back at the glory days. You know, my hair was black, and it was nice. I'm not going to lie to you because this is church. I look good. I look good back then. And now my hair is clear. It's not a color. But I, I spent a lot of time looking at all those yearbooks when I was in high school. So a game I would play on my long drive to see Amanda occupying my mind is I would start at the letter A, and I would try to list off in alphabetical order all of my classmates. Listen, sometimes I'd get pretty close, and then I'd get back home, and I'd pull the yearbook out, and I'd be like, oh, I missed uh, that guy. I knew him. I we weren't friends, and that's probably why I didn't remember him, but I'm sure he's a great guy, and I try to do better the next time. But it was amazing because it really did make the time fly by faster. I'd play that little game, and I'd be 70 miles down the road. Man, our mind is powerful in that way, to move us in directions, even when we are not fully aware of it. Listen, that's why some of us feel like God is a long way away. That's why we feel like there has been a season of our life where God has been closer to us than he is right now. It's not necessarily because he has moved. It's because probably you and I, we've set our minds on some things that have unknowingly led us in the way of the world. And the way of the world is not the way of Jesus. And it's pushed us further down a road away from him. Instead of setting our minds on things that are above. So we filter out the things of this earth so we can walk and live in the way of Jesus. Now, I know what everybody is thinking. Everybody's thinking, well, if we really do get serious about this filter thing and start filtering things based on heaven and what can happen in heaven, I mean, what we're all picturing right now is everything that is fun and enjoyable to us is, is just leaving. It's just evaporating before us right now. That's the fear of every American Christian. That we would, we, would be, we would give ourselves to Jesus fully. And we will be incredibly holy, but we will be incredibly bored. That's all of our fears. That if we really go all the way with this, we'll be righteous. But will life even be worth living? Because everything that we've known is fun. I'm not sure that I can do in the presence of God in heaven you know other Christians around the world they, they give themselves to Jesus there's persecution there's a whole set of challenges but what do we have here we think if we don't have all we call fun then we don't have anything but I want you to look in the scripture and this is where we're finishing where does it say that Jesus is in Colossians chapter 3 look at verse 1 seek the things that are above where Christ is Seated at the right hand of God. Now I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 16, verse 11.
This is what it says in verse 11, the psalmist giving praise to God. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And look at it. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where did it say that Jesus was? At the right hand. Where does it say that pleasures are forevermore? At the right hand, which fits perfectly with the things that Jesus says, like when he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he has come that we may have life and have it to the fullest. He says in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says to his disciples in John chapter 15, this word I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, for Jesus, following him and fullness of joy are not mutually exclusive. In fact, what he would say to us if he were able to appear before us tonight physically and tangibly is he would say, listen, I offer your best chance at joy. Because you know what you are left with when you filter out sin? Freedom. And nothing gives peace and gives the room for joy like freedom. I mean, you know this. You know this instinctively. You ever said something bad about somebody, a friend of yours? You know, because it's true. About another person. You know, you said it to a friend about another friend, and then that friend and that friend, they went and had lunch together. Is that fun? No. What are you doing the whole time? You're praying. You're, you're trying to brain will that person to not say anything. Please don't let them say anything. Please don't let them say anything. You're repenting in, you know, ashes and sackcloth. I'm so sorry, God. Please don't let them say anything. Please don't let them say anything. Please don't let them say anything. That's not fun. You ever lied? What do you have to do when you lie? You have to remember that lie and remember that person so you can keep that lie going for all of time. You ever been involved in something that's kind of dark and shady? What do you have to do? You have to spend your energy spinning plates, trying to keep the cover-up going. Make sure every time you are deleting your history. Making sure that nobody has your password. Making sure nobody's tracking your iPhone. Make sure nobody's reading your emails. Making sure what you said over here isn't going to be told over here. Making sure these people never crisscross paths. When you filter out sin, you're left with freedom. Where there's freedom, there's always joy. And so we're going to be adding filter. Because we have died. And we've been raised. And so we need to see things not just according to the way that we see them. We need to see them according to the way our Lord sees them. And connect the dots between our faith in Him and the ground level where we're making all the choices that we make. That's where we're on our way to these next few weeks. Father, we thank You for sending Jesus. We thank You for the Holy Spirit who brings these things to mind and convicts us of sin and we thank you that you give us the opportunity to renew our minds 
retrain them. God, we commit ourselves to you and pray that for many of us, we're connecting the dots even tonight. As the scripture says, it says, if you've been raised with Christ, just ask yourself tonight, have I been raised with Christ? Have I been born again? Have I been saved? Have I given my life to Jesus? Am I a Christian? Jesus has made room in his resurrection for you. And if you're ready to commit yourself to him, you don't have to say a magic prayer. You don't have to say certain words or incantation. You just offer him your faith. Jesus, I believe in you. And I give you myself. Thank you for your forgiveness. And he will hear your prayer. And tonight you know you've been raised with Christ. You've been born again. You've been given eternal life.